Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a very special guest. His name is Kevin E. West, and he's a veteran television actor with, I think, over 70 credits now. The Righteous Gemstones, Hawaii Five-O, Criminal Minds, Bones, Justified Lost, NCIS, CSI, and a dozen more. Oh, my God. Kevin is a three-time author and a national speaker since 1991, including a date with Hollywood panel in Stockholm. He is founder of the Actors Network and an expert on the business of show business. The Actors Network alums include Massey Oka from Heroes, Chelsea Chris from Off the Boat, Chris Gorham from Ugly Betty, and Maggie Grace from Taken. For more than three decades, Kevin E. West has been a professional storyteller and a veteran television actor, an entrepreneur, a CEO, and a consultant. And I must admit, he's a friend we've, and we just met, but it's amazing how much we've done together in such a short time. We've hit it off like crazy. Hailing from the rural self, he lived and worked in Hollywood for a long time. And Kevin is often and affectionately and metaphorically called the Hollywood redneck. Kevin is a badass who transcends the generation gap, providing forward-thinking initiatives. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you very much, Dr. Leica. Well, thank you very much for being here, Kevin. Sure. So, Kevin, let's go through your story of how you got from the rural south to where you are now. Tell us your your journey over those 30 years. The whole story? Holy smokes. Uh, I have about 15 minutes, so don't don't <laughs> go to the whole story. That will take years. I won't. Uh, no, I mean, basically, I, I grew up um, in a single-parent home, and my mother happened to be a singer, uh, I was always a goofball. I would, I would be what you'd call the class clown or, you know, one of the few in school. But I always wanted to honestly just be a professional athlete. That was my actual desire, uh, you know, from an athletic standpoint. And you do reach a point in life, uh, tends to be in your late teens or certainly your early 20s, where you, based on various factors, you either are going to get to that mountain or go a certain direction with it to an nth degree or you aren't and i had to arrive at the point um when i was about 20 that uh the circumstances surrounding my life were probably not going to allow the level of focus that you need to become a professional athlete and so off of a comment a guy random guy in college made to me uh, I decided to uh, engage a lady that was in Nashville and I was going to MTSU at the time with regards to uh, performing, with regards to being an actor. And that led to me going to New York and winning an event. And then, of course, the left side of my brain 
uh, woke up and put together a game plan. And I went to Atlanta for two years and then I came here and that's my journey to Los Angeles. Wow. That, that is a, a short journey over those years, but along the way, I'm sure you had a lot of stumbling blocks and a lot of things where, oh. you know, the, the, the rule is a starving actor, a, an actor working on tables, an actor doing all the things that are necessary to get to where he is. Was that your story as well? All of the above. I've sold coupons door to door. I, I, my mother owned a restaurant in, uh, in Nashville. And so I started waiting. I started working in a restaurant when I was 11 years old. We just call that slave labor. Uh, and so that certainly, and so it was a skill set that I had. So naturally it was something that I did, but I did phone sales, Dr. Leica. I, um, I, I ran the gamut of, I worked at a law firm for two years. Uh, I've done all of those things. And then I, eventually founded the Actors Network, which, you know, I did from a deficit financing standpoint for the first couple of three years. And eventually it was uh, it was successful and I was able to have a salary off of it. But, oh, yeah, it, um, I cover all of the starving actor jokes. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and that, you know, that's what they say builds character. That's what yeah. allows you to get <laughs> to the level that you're at uh, without, you know, Although you hated probably some of those moments and you went through all that, you know, I'm sure that gave you your your tenacity, your grit that allowed you to do those 70 credits that you have now. I think a lot of I think a lot of the, you know, at a certain point, I think uh, we reach a place where, you know, listen, I don't I don't need any more character. Uh, life, life can take it easy on me now. Um, and so I think I had a, a, a lot of the grit, again, just rural Tennessee and especially rural Tennessee where I was. Uh, I mean, I wasn't in the, the absolute deep, 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 deep woods. But in the 70s in Tennessee where I was out by Hendersonville and Gallatin, uh, not like it is today, there was not a whole lot around. So I, I had quite a bit of what we would call character building and grit just, you know, uh, growing up in a single parent home. By the time I got to Los Angeles, uh, the L.A. part was just trying to build a career in a an exceedingly difficult profession where I didn't have uh, I didn't have any nepotism. I didn't have anything. I didn't show up here with anything on my side, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. Well, Nashville was a totally different city back then in the 70s than it is now. I mean, now it's the the home and heart of of a lot of productions, both movies and radio and and television. Uh, That was not happening way back then in the 70s. Oh, God. Now it's Nash Vegas. First of all, it's the number one bachelorette uh, weekend destination in the South. It's number one, even more so than Atlanta. And number two, I mean, yeah, my mother was a country singer, um, but there's a very famous train station, uh, Alan, in Nashville called Union Station that actually country songs have been written about. It's beautiful. They refurbished it. When I was in high school, it was boarded up and dilapidated. Yeah. So, yeah, you didn't go past you didn't go past 20th or 21st Street towards First uh, Street to downtown when I was a kid or you were looking for trouble and that would be just past Vanderbilt. So it's a very different city now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
as I say, right now, I, I've been to Nashville and, and there aren't many areas that you would stay out of. I mean, it's, it's a totally grown up city and it's, it's safe. It's prosperous. It, it, it's really become uptown, whereas it used to be a, a hole to begin with. You are correct. It, I mean, it was that there were distinctly places you did not go. That is correct. And now it's it is it's it's just um, it's just blown up in the last 15, 20 years. Unbelievable. Yeah, for sure. So do you remember any stories along the way that, that you can tell the audience about about that journey? Uh, several of them depends on which ones we can allow on air. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I think I, I think we, you know when we when we tend to use the word journey, uh, Doctor Leica, we a lot of times as a country that we're very result oriented, and I respectfully understand that. Certainly, as an athlete, you're you're result oriented. Taking tests, we're result oriented, and so when we look at journeys, sometimes we wind up just looking at the end of like, oh my gosh, that person is so-and-so. They've gotten to, it doesn't matter what industry it is. Uh, and so when I tend to look at some of those years, I tend to look back uh, at some of the moments when I should have looked at myself and gone, what the hell are you doing? Um, and one of the, the key ones for me would have been when I chose to go to Atlanta for two years. I, I won an, a, an event in New York. And I, I could have gone to New York, but similarly, uh, New York back then, Manhattan back then, is not the Manhattan you see today. I mean, people who have not seen Times Square from, from a perspective of the early 80s to where it is today, Times Square was a place after one or two o'clock in the morning, you would just get killed. And so I had been there and, uh, for this event and as a guy who grew up in the rural South and who also was a golfer, I didn't really see myself hanging out in Manhattan trying to, you know, haul my sticks on the subway somewhere to go play golf. So I chose Atlanta, but I also went to Atlanta with a very old car, $200 in my pocket. And the only person that knew I was coming was the gal who was to be my agent. So I had to, I slept in my car for three days in this abandoned Sears parking lot that is in really upscale Buckhead at the time. It was just this big abandoned building. And I, it was kind of downhill and it was behind the building thing. And I thought, now oh, that seems safe. And, <laughs> and I literally slept in my car for three days. And then my agent uh, had a client that was in the catering business and she had a couple kids, but they had moved out. She was an empty nester. Uh, and she was kind of a wackadoodle. She might have been kind of a functioning alcoholic. She was funny. Uh, and she didn't live that far down Peachtree. And I rented a room from her for $50 a week um, for about six or seven months. And then one of her neighbors uh, was a lawyer. And he knew somebody who worked at this really fancy restaurant downtown. And he helped get me a job. And and once I had a job for six or seven months, I had enough money to uh, finally move out and, and get my own place. Yeah, well, so that was that's the beginning of a journey right there. That, that is the beginning of a journey. And, and you, you know, how did you get motivated? I mean, 
Kevin, a lot of things were stacked against you. You know, a lot of things, you know how many actors try and never meet their dreams. How did you stay motivated during that process? Um, you know, that becomes, you know, the, the intriguing part about that question for me, which ironically, I, I've asked a number of people on my own myself, uh, is we get into the, we go the direction, in my opinion, of nature versus nurture. And I'm someone who believes, I don't think that it's 50-50, personally, as a guy who was almost a psychology double major, I do believe we're a little more nurture than we are nature, personally. I think our environment of how we grow up has a little bit longer lasting effect on us. And maybe the nature part of us uh, remains a little more, a little more hidden, but not, not always. Uh, I think that the way I grew up um, with just a sister and a mother who was not home very much and was sort of a latchkey kid who learned a lot on his own and had to grow up pretty fast. I think there was just a, a nurtured part of me uh, that quitting wasn't really in my vocabulary. Uh, I don't know if you want to put a, you know, words to something like that, such as stubborn or cocky or defiant or, you know, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't much really matter. Um, I just made, uh, you know, I even just going to the event that I went to in New York that I won, we didn't have any money for me to go to that. I literally had to go around and raise the money to be able to even go on that trip. And when I won it, and that's a trophy that sits right behind me right here is the trophy that got me into this business. Um, I just looked at that as, I, I don't know, not, not so much abnormal. I'd won awards before playing sports and, and I just figured, well, this is just the next step. This is just, you just keep doing this until, and I think part of me, you know, Dr. Leica thinks, well, if those people can do it, well, then I can do it. And until I'm going to get to the place where I said, okay, I've done it, uh, I was just going to do whatever it took. It's just a, it, it is a, it is a, a very much the nature of me nurtured by the environment of my childhood. Yes. Huge, huge. Those are huge words there. <laughs> You know, truly, I, I mean, that's you were born with certain things and all of us have have those things and, and so on. But it's our environment that shapes us and, and pushes us to the point that that we get to where we are. And, and you know, I, I've always said it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. And and that, I think, is, is truly what you're showing there. Yes. You saw one avenue in sports wasn't going to be right with you. You weren't going to be uh, a, a baseball player like you had designed to do. You knew that you couldn't be those things because of your skill set or your mental skill set at that time weren't going to allow you to get there. So then you turned and, and you turned into a field that was even more competitive probably than baseball. Yeah, I, I picked two one percent. <laughs> desires that's for sure yeah it, 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 that's true but you got there you got there and you have 70 credits to show for it. uh tell me what was of all those shows that you've been on were there any particular characters you identified with because i mean when you're an actor you're playing somebody else but in some of them 
probably part of your real self comes out. Oh, I would, I would tend to share with you. Uh, I would tend to share with you, Alan. I, I would say a much, a, a much larger percent than a small percent. Um, you know, when kids, one of the things people like about kid actors is that they haven't gone through what I would call puberty in high school, where you really have to learn defense mechanisms and you, and, and there's a degree of, of insecurity that is built up that sometimes we don't have as children, which actually is a bit damaging to you as an actor. And you have to find a way to, to, to work through that. But I, I would tend to say that, especially for any adult actor, you have already probably experienced or, or built inside of you, um, you know, all of the same emotions that the character you're playing has. It's a matter of, of how you construct them inside of yourself and how you utilize your internal uh, psychological and human tools to exude that with somebody else's words. And then wardrobe, which plays, and scenery, which plays a big part into the audience uh, being, as we always would say, the, you know, the willingness of, uh, of, of um, belief that we believe, you believe, we believe what we're doing. And so I, I think you use a lot of yourself in most of them. Uh, it's a question of which ones you, you actually wind up having to search for parts of you that are not really naturally developed in the way the character has been written. Um, and that's, for me, it would have been any of the roles that I played where I was just being sort of a, a normal, chill, laid back, um, guy, because it's not my nature. I idle at a pretty high pace. Shocking. I know to you, Dr. Like, uh, and, and so that's, those were the ones that have been a little more challenging for me. And comedy for me is a little different on camera than it was because I was a stand-up comic briefly. And so comedy was a little different for me uh, and as and a skill set I had to spend a little more time working on than I thought I would because I'm just a a natural smartass. Um, But it's different. This is one of my big things when I talk to actors about this profession. Uh, It's different when you're at a party or you're amongst pals uh, instead of doing comedy when you're, quote unquote, on camera. It's a little different. So I think it's it's the characters in which you have to find the pieces of you that are not quite as developed or natural to you. Um, And. And that kind of, for me, tends to come with some of just sort of the casual, ongoing uh, characters that I played, as opposed to the ones like on Lost or even the Righteous Gemstones. Or I've played a lot of civil servants and a lot of guys in coats and lawyers, and those are most of those folks are are pretty pretty easy for me to quote unquote get there. Yeah. Now. I suppose you can say the director of the show or the person that's helping to produce the show brings out those characters in you or helps you with those characteristics. They help you to discover your inner self, so to speak. They can. It depends. Television is uh, its probably one of the myths about television, which has been most of my career. Um, television, they unfortunately, we... 
when we think of directors typically in, in America, we think of people like Spielberg and we think of feature film directors. And there's a reason for that. Uh, because, because, you know, it says a Ron Howard film when the credits come up. And so we're used to that. But television, unfortunately, is quite different. Uh, television is much more like uh, making cars in Detroit. It's very assembly line. It's eight days. We got to get this done. We only have eight days to do it. We can't extend on a movie like Avatar or Titanic, you know, Michael Bay or James Cameron doing it. Well, we're just going to take an extra week. Uh, and that's when you find on stage as an actor, yes, in feature films, studio feature films that have a little more time and latitude, yes, to your point, that directors can go, okay, Kev, that was great. Um, on this take, what, what I'd like to see, and some of them talk differently, they either talk to you, what I'd like you to do is, or sometimes they will speak in third person to the character, like, let's have him, blah, 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 because he's... And we're going to have him. Let's have him try. That happens a little more on independent films, studio films and theater. It doesn't happen as much in television because every single television show is on an eight day schedule and they can't go over. And so you tend to get hired. This is one of the fears, by the way, Dr. Like of actors, when you audition for television, if you're not a series regular cast member, you are always trying to guess on your choices for the character. I'm hesitant to use the word right. Technically, that would be the right word, but it would be getting close enough to what they already want that person to do when they walk on set so that they don't actually have to talk to them. That's, that's the difference in film and television. Well, that, that's important. And, and uh, it, you know, people, I, I think from this perspective and my perspective, I don't always understand the acting world. I, I mean, tell we think of acting as all the same, but each media has different benefits and disadvantage with it. I, I mean, being in a play is far different than being on a TV show. Being on a TV show is much different than being in a movie. Yeah, it's um, I call them in my book that I wrote for show business. I call them areas of industry. Some people used to call them mediums, but mediums doesn't really doesn't really cover the landscape of all the different things. Same as if, hey, everybody, welcome to the morning radio show. K2, that's a whole different skill set. If you're a host of a game show, that's a different skill set. That's we tend to use that phrase of skill set because. Because your physical body, the pace with which something's done, you know, even just a four to six week rehearsal process for theater is something you don't get in other things. But then in theater, you also have to concern yourself with, you know, the width of the stage, the depth of the stage, being much more concerned about upstaging your fellow uh, performers, the audience, uh, how big the house is, how how loud you need to resonate on something that is maybe a gentle soft line that if I were doing a movie and the boom mic is right there, I only have to talk this loud. But if I were on stage saying the same thing, I'd have to talk, but it has to still feel genuine and sincere. So yes, uh, we tend to use the, you know, the crafting of, of, of different types of skill sets for different areas of industry. Absolutely. Now you've been a creative person and your creativity has not just been in, in the 
uh, television show field or, or the movie field, you've actually extended that into the <laughs> writing field as well. What drove you to be a good writer? I, I mean, Kevin, people say it's not difficult to write. All you have to do is slit your wrists and bleed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm uh, I'm a goofball. I, I'm uh, I have a lot of a lot of different ideas, and I because of the company that I own because. I chose to, and I accidentally started a meeting that turned into an organization called the Actors Network that I that I ran for near nearly twenty four years. Um, during that period of time, I would continually have ideas. I mean, I was working all the time in television. I was around creative people all the time, and I, you know, back then I had a Franklin planner, and so I would I was always jotting things down, and then. Uh, eight and a half years ago, I, I chose to finally close the physical doors to the Actors Network, and it it generated some time for me. Now, I always knew that I wanted to write a book about show business, which is the one right there, uh, Seven Deadly Sins, The Actor Overcomes. So that was more of, from a writing standpoint, that was more of what we would call, uh, since you've done it, that was more a natural extension of what I had just spent nearly 24 years doing, which was in a very, very, very specific, finite way, um, educating actors on the business side of show business. So that was sort of a, a natural extension. The, the actual creative books that I did, Kevin's Dictionary, Life in a Word, and Politics in a Word, um, that's just me being silly. And I had the idea, walking with a friend of mine, but it still took me, oh, I don't know, five years, I think, five or six years to even bring that to fruition. And those are gift books. I mean, they're, they're 110 pages long in a little square book. I mean, but it's, yes, literous and bleed. Uh, it's amazing how many times you have to write and rewrite and write and rewrite and go, yeah, that's just not quite what I had in my head. <laughs> and so how am I going to get this out of here and get it onto there? So somebody who doesn't even know me will actually get the point. Um, but I have more coming. I have more books coming. Well, that's that's huge. And, and we'll have to probably get you back on again when you have a couple of those books out to get your word. Out. Indeed. Now, in your current books, which is your favorite? And do you have a favorite part of them? Sure. I mean, uh, I, I obviously my show business book is because I, I still consult to this day, uh, Dr. Leica, I, I mean, I, I still live in Los Angeles. I have, there are thousands of people who know of me and, and, you know, I'm, I'm now doing, I'm rebuilding my YouTube channel because I took a break from the business of show business. And, you know, my YouTube channel will slowly eventually become this massive encyclopedia of videos, uh, uh the Kevin E. Um, but that's just an extension of the net, the actors network without me having to have the company. Um, as far as creating it, I think probably I'll answer it two ways. I'll tell you what, I'll answer it two ways. I think when I finally finish my dating book, that might wind up being my favorite one when it's done, but it isn't done. So we can't count it yet. It's like, uh, it's like selling a stock. It's not realized yet, Dr. Leica. So we can't count it. Um, in my brain, it would be my favorite one. Uh, but certainly I, I, I think that, that from my soul, uh, having come up with Kevin's Dictionary and written Life in a Word, 
would certainly, which is this, would certainly be uh, the thing that I that I I treasure inside of inside of my creative mind at the moment, and inside that book. So that book is taking a, a word and writing a story around that word, but the story is not what you expect. That was the whole idea of of you know a picture's worth a thousand words, and sometimes a word can be a whole new picture. That's the tagline on the book. So when you see a word in there like dance or sport uh, or marriage uh, and more notably mother or father, they're not the story you're expecting of the definition of that word. And that's so for me, creatively, that's that's probably my favorite. Yeah. The Chinese have a saying that a picture is worth a thousand words, but a word picture is worth a thousand pictures. And, and I think that's what you've conveyed there is your word pictures that you've made are worth a thousand pictures. <laughs> well, certainly if you were, uh, if you were witnessing the stories that I wrote, that probably would be the case. I mean, I, I took the word sport and I, I wrote a story about black Friday. I mean, because that's, that's when you think about all the people who line up at all the shops to go shopping the day after Thanksgiving and just the mayhem that occurs in this country with people bursting through the doors, I, I, you know, that to me is there's a level of sport there. And so, uh, you know, if you have a sense of humor and you look at a word like sport and then you read the story and you realize, oh, my God, he's talking about the day after Thanksgiving. We all lose our minds and run through stores. Yeah, that's I mean, that's kind of the purpose of the book. So uh, I certainly have an in, an endearment towards towards that book. Yes. Well, and certainly, I mean, the prize they get on that day may be a large screen TV or something. That or a black eye, you know. <laughs> I mean, back in the day, man, there were people fighting over Cabbage Patch dolls and stuff. So uh, that that's kind of why when you just see the massive throngs like burst through the door, that's how that idea came to me when I had when I, I came up with the list of words that I wanted in that first, because I wanted them to all be generic, very common daily life words. Uh, and so when I came up with the 50, because there's 50 in each book, as there is in politics in a word. Uh, I wanted the words to be something that were normal, but then the stories to be something you just didn't would never imagine being associated with that word. Yeah, and, and I can understand that. Now, Kevin, let's go into your uh, stuff that you went into the Actors Network, because to a large part, that was... A, a large part of your life's work. And it's something that you gave your heart and soul to, as mm. you said, for about 20 years. Now let's go into that venture a bit. Yeah, almost 24. I mean, when I, you know, we, unfortunately, we only get one at least cognitive uh, version of uh, a moral life, a mortal life. And um, I wasn't, I think the most important thing about the Actors Network, Dr. Leica, is that, for all the things I've done in my life that were planned, for all the things I've done in my life, as we all do, that are decisions. I, you know, I want to get married. I want to have a family. Uh, I want to do this for a profession, whatever it may be. Building an organization off of the profession that I chose was not something that was ever in my brain, was never in my brain when I started the journey of becoming a professional performer. And it was never in my brain even when I had the first meeting, because it just started out as a conversation. In April of, of 1991, 
I had a meeting in my apartment and I invited about 10 people. And I said, hey, grab a few friends. I want to have a conversation. And what wound up in my apartment that night were 42 people standing around because it wasn't very big. And I only knew about 16 of them personally. Everybody else was a friend of a friend. And I said, look, and this came out of a dream. I woke up out of a dream, not a joke. And I started scribbling down a bunch of stuff about why, why is this community working so hard to kill itself over something that we could help each other with. Now that's a nature of me being an empath. It's a nature of me being a given person, giving person. That would be some of the nature versus nurture, but it was still about business. It was still about, I didn't move to Los Angeles, Dr. Like to give it a shot. I didn't move to Los Angeles to just get out of the South. I moved here to get paid to do this. That was something that I was very distinctly clear about in terms of it being a profession that is the business of art, not just art for art's sake, which there's nothing wrong with, but that's just the difference between something being a hobby and being a career. And so I'd been in LA for, for four years, 87, 88, 89, 90. And in early 91, I had this meeting. So I'd seen a lot. I'd learned a lot already. I wasn't like I was just fresh off the boat. And so I said, hey, guys, here's what I'm thinking. And I expressed what I was thinking. And I said, we're going to have a meeting in two weeks. And that was May 1st, 1991, which means May 1st last year was my 30-year anniversary of having founded the organization. And what the ironic part about that was, of the seven people that were at that first meeting, one of them was my girlfriend at the time. So she doesn't really count because she wasn't really an actor. She was there. And then one other guy that I knew, the other five people, and this is something that taught me a lesson in life. The other five people were people who didn't know me. All the rest of those friends of mine didn't participate. And so that slowly, I had a meeting every two, uh, I think we met every week for a while. And all of the subject matter that I had encountered as an actor sort of became our curriculum. And then they were encountering stuff and that became our curriculum. And just slowly over the course of time, and then I knew some people in the profession who were agents or managers or casting directors. And I was like, hey, do you want to come talk to this group? And, and the whole thing, honestly, Dr. Leica, truly evolved so slowly, I didn't realize what I was doing because it took me to July 4th, 1995, before I actually felt like we had enough members for me to risk getting a lease on a space to have an office. And unfortunately, that would have been the sort of dividing line for me because once I had a lease and a space whew, and was officially really a business owner, I had to put a lot of time in it. And it probably hurt my career. You know, we, Tiger Woods just celebrated 25 years of his win for the ages at the Masters because he became the best golfer on the planet because that's all he did. It's hard when you split yourself and you bifurcate yourself um, I, I'm sure that founding the Actors Network probably may have kept me from keeping the focus on myself and, and my acting as much as I would have liked it to. But that's water under the bridge and there's nothing I can do about that. Um, I'm proud of the organization. As you noted in the intro, the alums, all the people that came through, plus all the friends that I have today. And, and I also learned a lot. 
being around artists for two plus decades, consulting them. Uh, it helped Kevin learn a lot about himself and also a lot about life. So uh, I, I can't uh, I can't give it too much of a hard time. But that was sort of the slow journey of it. And it just evolved from there. And eventually we won awards and I had, you know, we had articles done on us and, and then the digital age came and, and actors, because by nature, we don't like feeling rejected, uh, became sort of culturally less willing to be sort of outward and be proactive. And that was my whole thing was being proactive shocker. I know. Um, and so I did finally, I had done it for long enough and I just, I, I needed an emotional and psychological break from, from the day-to-day grind of engaging my community. Huge. So along the way, did you have a role model that you were following in their footsteps, either from the acting side or the actor's network side? Was there somebody that you looked up to as somebody you said, hey, maybe if I followed this path, you know, I could achieve more? Um, Role models for me were always athletes. Um, I think that's just because that's the the genesis and the core nature of me was always my desire to. I have a little statue behind me over here with this little guy with a baseball bat just says want to play. And I was always kind of that guy. And so a lot of my a lot of my role models and again, from the standpoint of. You know, I'm going to quote somebody now. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. That was Jim Valvano, who's now since passed who was the coach of North Carolina state. And they are the guys who, um, you know, probably the greatest national championship upset in the history of NCAA basketball. And so whether it was Jack Nicholas, whether it was miracle on ice, I look, um, I've, I've met Jim Craig, who was the goalie for the U S in the in 1980, when they beat the Soviets, uh, my role models were usually surrounded by in terms of role models, not actors that I love. I mean, I love Anthony Hopkins. I love Phil, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I've, I've loved a ton of folks throughout the years, but I think my inertia, my stick to my seeing something through, and then certainly through my life, Tiger Woods and, and, and several others um, were people that I simply admired. And I think more, I, you know, I, I lent myself more to those, individual um, sports just because, you know, being an actor in so many ways, you're in an ensemble or a cast when you're working, but the in-between times of trying to pursue it and trying to keep at it and keep your self-belief up and your self-esteem up um, is a very individual journey. And so, you know, whether it was Andre Agassi or Pete Sampras or John McEnroe or just all the people that I grew up with and watching playing tennis, um, those were probably more my role models for you got to keep going. You have to keep going, Kevin, you got to keep at it. Uh, I had a couple of, I had a wonderful acting coach along the way, David LeGrant, who has since passed. He um, was the instructor for John Voight, Toby McGuire. I mean, uh, also Walt Goggins, who, you know, is very well known today. And we have actually worked together on justified. Uh, So I had, I had key people along the way. For sure. But I think most of my role models for for working hard and, and hanging in there and not quitting were, were all athletes. 
Sure. Yeah, I can understand that. And I can understand how, how they help to give you something to, um, you know, that drive, that patterning that went on there, that, that success they had from overcoming obstacles, certainly important in your life. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I can, I can tell you where I was standing and what I was doing when, you know, Jack Nicholas won the 86 Masters at 46 years old. I, I, uh, that's, you know, that's as much of a, a memory for me and a, and a driving force, even though it happened all those years ago, same as, you know, three years ago when, when Tiger still managed to pull off winning the masters after back fusion. Um, those are things that, that tend to bring tears to my eyes in two ways. One, that that's always what I had wanted to do, but also from the don't give up, don't ever give up. Uh, so, um, that's, that's probably because it's just an, it's just the nature of having been an athlete from the time I was, you know, seven years old. That's all. So here's a question from left field. What is your, what is your least favorite personality trait you like about yourself? My least favorite? Yes. About myself? About yourself. Impatience. Yeah. And and that that's actually a really easy answer for me. And yet at the same time, Dr. Leica, if you were to say, what is one of the things that the Actors Network taught you the most about yourself and or what's the one thing that you have gotten better at than it? It would be impatience. But, you know, but that's the thing about because I have so many friends who are clean and sober. Right. We've all known people who were were addicts, especially living in a city like Los Angeles. And that's one of the great things about if you're truly around people who have be who have gotten clean and sober. From whatever form of addiction it was, you and I both know that they never say that I'm healed. An alcoholic says I'm an alcoholic. I'm just clean and sober. So that's making two statements in the same statement. It causes you people to, you know, sort of do the dog thing that I say, like turn your head and go, what? And so, yes, my least favorite trait about myself is I'm incredibly impatient. And I'm also quick-minded and sharp-tongued. So sometimes that those, those things get me in trouble. But the thing that I've also evolved and grown the most in my life in the last 25 years is impatience. Yeah. So... Here, here's another question that, again, living in the Hollywood that you've lived in, have you actually saved somebody's life or has somebody saved yours? I mean, Hollywood is a dog-eat-dog breakfast at a lot of the times. So have you had to save somebody's life through some of your comments or has somebody had to save yours when you were down and out? Um, I I don't. I don't know that anybody is, is saved mine. I'm it's, I'm, it's not my nature. Uh, unfortunately, this would be again, probably, probably the second least trait of mine that I don't like is that I don't tend to ask for help. That's the nature of how I grew up. That would probably be second behind impatience. Um, I again also have learned, however, to do such. Um, I don't tend to let myself get that low. I have been 
very low a couple times in my life based on um, ending of relationships. Those are the two, the two lowest points in my life for the end of the relationships of the two women that I fell in love with. That's without question. And then the surrounding circumstances that are going on in your life at the same time that happens uh, adds to that. But I, I have to be careful now because I, I, again, I don't want to sound arrogant. Um, I'm pretty sure that I have been, I have been spoken to on a number of occasions, usually somewhat later when I run into someone who tells me how much I help them without realizing that I help them. Um, I can't say that within the acting community, I know for a fact I've saved someone's life. I do know for a fact that related to an entirely different subject of a story that's far too long, um, I glaringly saved a woman from a husband that was going to kill her probably. And she now lives in another country, married and very happy uh, under a different name. Uh, that is something that she had been a, a former uh, someone I dated, I guess, or former lover, however you want to say it. And it's just a long story of some randomness that she managed to remember my phone number and I happened to answer the phone. And it led to uh, my girlfriend at the time and I picking her up, housing her for a few days until she could get some money wired to her and eventually get away from this individual who had her tied up in the house um, at gunpoint. And so that's somebody's life I know that I I saved and we're still in touch to this day. Um, actor wise, I think probably yes, a degree or two of separation. Uh, but I also unfortunately know eight actors who have taken their life. And so those are, um, again, you're going to make me cry. Dr. Laika. those are, uh, those are hard phone calls to get. Those are hard things to see because two of those people were members of my organization. And, and I never signed up to get a phone call from somebody's mom wanting to try and get a piece of information on why in the world her son would have taken his life. And uh, whew, those are um, those are hard, unexpected phone calls to take in uh, when you just are running an organization. Well, so. also, you know, the drug overdoses that are happening, I think a large, I wouldn't say a large part of them, but a certain percentage of them are actually suicides. And that, uh, oh, you know, for sure, is what we're seeing now is that is the end of somebody's career and their life right there and there. And oh, uh, I just finished on March 21st, just the other day. Uh, I, I emceed an event, a charity golf tournament for addiction. That's done by a longtime friend of mine who had a couple of knee surgeries and got addicted to prescription drugs. And his father is the, is the one who saved his life. But yeah, when you live in a city like this, surrounding by a profession like this, you if you're anywhere like that long enough, you're going to either have as friends and or encounter a number of people who have who have gotten on the other side of something that would be known as a, 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 a downhill slide. You can't get you can't recover from for sure. So, so what do you think? Is, is there several things or one thing you would say is unfair in, in the actor's world? Is there circumstances or things that you'd like to change? Well, I, I, with all respect, um, I mean, yeah, I'm an idealist. Uh, I, I don't know if that comes across when I speak, but I'm an idealist about government. I'm an idealist. I mean, I spoke in Kiev, you know, Dr. Laika, six years ago. It's brutal for me to see what's going on in that city uh, when I, you know, when I was speaking, you know, at the, at the main cinema in, in Kiev. 
So I'm an idealist in general in life about all things. But when you bring that question down to Hollywood, um, you know, sure, you would like things to be a little more based on meritocracy. But unfortunately, the reason why that's never going to change is because art for money is just art. It's like, do I think that every single artist that that is well-known is as good as maybe some that aren't? No, but that's what the public wants to feel or believe. And in Hollywood, to me, the hardest part about Hollywood for an actor, hands down, not even close, is just the fact that it's subjective. Because subjectivity allows for a massive degree of nepotism. It's not just like, Billy and John law firm or, you know, Smith and son law firm or Smith and son auto mechanics. I mean, if, if you're a lawyer, you at least have to pass the bar. I mean, just because your mother or father is a lawyer, you don't get to be a lawyer, not a lawyer. You can maybe be a paralegal, but you can't just go be a lawyer. But you have to pass the bar in the state that you live in. So just that difference there. Dr. Leica is what I think makes Hollywood so, so much more difficult. It's one of the reasons why I was a little drawn to stand-up comedy because stand-up comics, you're either funny or you're not. That's again, that goes back to sort of golf and tennis. Um, and people may wonder listening to this, why I didn't become a director or producer immediately or sooner where you have more control of things. That kind of goes back to the Actors Network. Unfortunately, I, my control was I took all my producing and directing time in my life that I could have done it. And I wound up running this organization, uh, which was something I could control every day. And it was very successful. But as a pure actor, that's to me, it's an easy answer. It is the subjectivity of the future of your income and your profession just based on. And this is not a joke. I'm going to give you an actual quote anecdote from a casting director of mine from years ago. Not a joke. Here it comes. When I happened to got, I got to know her well enough that I was sitting with her one day when she was going through pictures about calling somebody in for an audition. And she literally, she got to somebody that I knew. And I said, oh, you know, what about him? And she goes, nah, he reminds me of all the guys that made fun of me in high school. That's the part that I hate about Hollywood. Yeah. But that's life. So, you, you know, as I say to people all the time, it's not fair. And if you want Hollywood to be fair, uh, there's a plane and a bus leaving every hour. I'd get out because it ain't yeah, fair. For sure. Now, now, Kevin, you know this show is called How to Live a Fantastic Life. So, Kevin, how do you today live a fantastic life? How is your life fantastic now versus where it was several years ago? I've, I practice two things, I think, distinctly every day that help with a fantastic life. One, not nearly as much noise from the outside world. And I'm speaking mostly of the both the energy, the engagement and the language of other humans. Um, not as much of that makes it inside my ears whether I hear it or not, it doesn't make it inside. And the other is I make sure to spend at least half of my day every day doing something 
that tickles my soul. And I don't think if you, if you, whatever age you are, um, you, you, you don't necessarily get to do stuff that tickles your soul 16 hour waking days a day. It's just not the nature of life. We have things that we have to do and need to do. And those aren't necessarily, those are going to be very admin, admin or, you know, task oriented that don't necessarily tickle our soul. But I think you have to find a way to, to have a good third or half of your day tickle your soul. And then you have to get to the place where you don't listen to nearly the amount of human noise we didn't know not to listen to in our teens, our 20s, our 30s, and beyond. And that's how I live a fantastic life. Second question is, how do you recommend others live a fantastic life? You have to you have to search for those two things. You 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 have to you have to spend time, Doctor Leica, understanding understanding yourself. Because if you if you really realize what tickles your soul, that's what leads, in my opinion, to the ability to not be distracted by, thrown off course by, derailed by or slowed down or depressed as much by the surrounding world that we all live in. I'm not, I'm not a guy who believes that, that being a recluse is a solution. I know it works for some people, but if you're not going to live as a recluse, then to me, you have to know what tickles your soul. It doesn't have to be a profession. It can just be a hobby. It can just be a thing. I don't know. It can just be hiking, but whatever tickles your soul, that's got to also bleed over to me into how you execute and, and engage with the outside world. Because most of the time, what I get from people who would, based on the way they would speak, that their life maybe doesn't feel fantastic to them, is they tend to talk about all that surrounds them. What comes out of their mouth is a dialogue that's associated with surrounding individuals, friendships, jobs. It's always outside stuff. And so to me, You've, you've got to find what tickles your soul because that's the way that, to me, you rise above the clouds as you would in a plane um, to staying in a fantastic life mode. Fantastic. Thank you, Kevin. Now, Kevin, we're at our end already. That hour flew by. Can, can you uh, share with our listeners how they can get in, find out more about you, find out about more of the things that you do. Perhaps we have an actor out there that wants, or an actress that would like to know more about the business of acting and how they can get to your YouTube channel, et cetera. Sure. And or somebody who wants to buy a gift book for a family member. Uh, so yes, I'm very easy to find at the Kevin E T H E K E V I N E at the Kevin E on Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, and the YouTube channel is is more of an instructional channel for the business of show business. And then if you just go to KevinEWest.com, there's an, a nav bar click that says store, and you can buy any one of the four, the three books and or the audio program that I have uh, on the store on my website. Yes, very easy. Well, thank you, Kevin, and thank you for uh, spending the hour with us. As I say, it's always so much fun to spend the time with you and, and learn a little bit from you and find out about your life and just share with you. It's, it's always a fun time. Absolute pleasure, Dr. Leica. Thank you for having me very much. Okay. We will hope to talk to you soon. 
ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for listening to us. Uh, if you like this show, please share it with your other friends and make sure you come back often because we have a lot of interesting guests. Hope to talk to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Leica's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day.